Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I've got Ali Young, the CEO and founder of Axis Replay. And esports mega facilities, finally, this is the first podcast I can do about it. I've been talking about it so much on LinkedIn. There's been so many announcements and I feel like 2019 leading into 2020 is going to be the year of the esports facility or esports and gaming facility. So I brought on Ali Young to talk about it, her business model, her focus on community and esports versus gaming for them and how they're more than just an internet cafe. There's a lot of discussion that happens here um, and also there's a lot of thinking while I'm talking. So I apologize for stumbling through some words and such, but I really tried to put a lot of thought into this podcast and really try to ask the right questions and drill down. We will have some more esports and gaming facility owners, operators, founders, and senior staff on board. So if there's any other questions you'd like me to ask, any other probing ways you'd like me to find out some information for you, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook at BigEsports underscore GG. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Ali, it's been a few weeks in the making or a few months even and we finally found a time to sit down together. Hello. Hi. How are you? Really good. Really good. It's um, nice and sunny here in Australia at the moment. We're coming into summer, which obviously means that you're starting to get a bit colder and into winter, right? Yes. We're in Atlanta, so, you know, it's it's... It's cold uh, for Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's good to see. Um, it's good to see a bunch, a bunch of sponsor logos. I mean, the people who are listening to this obviously can't can't see the logos that are sitting on the screen behind you, but obviously some um, some support from some local companies is always awesome. But let's let's just jump straight into it. So the the first question, as always, let us and the listeners know a little bit more about yourself, about your history, business, esports, and, and gaming as a whole. Um, so I'm Ali Young. I'm the CEO of Access Replay. My background has always been in sales and marketing. I work for companies like Cox Media, Clear Channel. Um, really, I've been in you know sales and marketing since I was two, and I could sell my way out of a nap. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and and uh, I, when I grew up, uh, I went and worked for companies, uh, corporate companies, learned from them, um, and then owned my own marketing firm. Our largest clients were uh, the U.S. Army, Capitol Records, um, Essence Festival in New Orleans. Uh, so getting people places for events, experiences, um, to do things, really my forte. Uh, mm. I, I am a gamer. I met my husband playing video games 20 years ago. Uh, it was the original swipe right. And, um, <laughs> and so we, uh, you know, this has always been, this has been our passion. Um, and we conceptualized the idea of access replay, I would say almost five years ago, um, started developing a really strong strategic partnerships with companies like High res Studios, um, Skillshot Media when they were formed, uh, E-League here in Atlanta, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Sports Council, Economic Development. Um, and I, because I knew that going into 
uh, into this, that having those strategic partners um, was going to be extremely important for us to scale our business and and grow mm-hmm. Access Replay from, you know, where it, where it wasn't uh, a small mom and pop shop. I started with the end in mind in wanting to create a top golf type environment for video games and esports. Yeah. So there's there's been so many posts, you know, for those listeners who follow me on LinkedIn, which is, you know, how I guess most people are finding this podcast at the moment, mm-hmm. has has seen an endless amount of posts by me about these esports, what I call mega facilities. Right. So for, for those, because there's some people that listen to the podcast that aren't inside the, the industry, what that basically means is that, in, in my opinion, you've got an internet cafe which is at the smaller side of the spectrum that might have anywhere from six to, to 30 computers. And they serve just as a as a computer for hire type service where people can come in and they can use a computer to play games or check emails for a certain amount of hours and, and leave. And they may have small community tournaments or events that are attached to that. But now what we've seen, especially in 2019 and, and upcoming announced that are opening in 2020 are these mega facilities, which may, in, in the example of Fortress Esports here in Australia that's, that's opening soon, mm-hmm. have 100 plus computers. Computers, have a 200-seat esports arena, have a full restaurant, one, two, or three bars, have co-working facilities and spaces. So I'm really interested to, to learn from you. you. You're opening because of the amount of time you've been open so far. You were kind of the, really the first wave of these esports mega-facility trends. When mm-hmm. did you start looking at, at this as an idea, and, and what were some of the main things that brought you into this business? Because obviously, you know, you had a fairly successful business before, so, right. so why throw all of your resources into this? Sure. Uh, so like I said, um, I'm a gamer, met my husband playing video games 20 years ago, and this was always a passion of ours and a hobby. Um, mm. What brought me to this was, uh, it was actually um, my daughter at the time, she was eight years old. We took her to her first Barnes and Noble. Um, and as an Amazon baby, you know, everything she read was online and, and ordered books on, um, from Amazon. But we took her mm. to this Barnes and Noble. And here in the, in the U.S., um, Barnes and Nobles are, are large. 40, 50,000 square foot retail spaces, right? That are beautiful, have a coffee shop inside, that type of stuff. And as we were leaving, she actually said, Mama, it would be so cool if we had um, a place like this that had computers and video games along with, alongside cookies and, uh, and, you know, of course, cupcakes. Mm. So she got into the back of the car and started putting together um, a business plan for what is now access replay. (laughs) So the, you know, the, what, what happened was, you know, that, that was really the start of us taking a look at this market. Um, Like I said, my background is in sales and marketing. So I immediately started doing a lot of market research and looked at business models like top golf, where, their business is, um, you know, that 18 to 34 age group, because what I found was the average age of a gamer um, at that time was 34 years old. I think now it's mm. 33 um, in the last studies. And, and, you know, what that means is, okay, well, if the average age of the gamer is 30, 33 or 34 years old, why wasn't there a top golf experience for video games and esports? Right. Um, mm. In the U.S., the average uh, or actually in the U.S., 40 percent of the U.S. population plays golf. And 
in 60, over 65% now play video games. So there was this huge gap, right? For, um, for the casual gamer who would enjoy the experience of video games, um, whether they were avid gamers now or they were casual gamers and mobile gamers, um, and, you know, or, or friends or significant others of gamers. And, uh, and so we started doing, a lot of market studies in terms of, you know, obviously location was going to be a very, very key point. Um, and we started looking in the Atlanta market for potential locations. Uh, and it was a, it was a process, right? Um, so building those strategic partnerships, getting, um, getting those, uh, that research done and finding the right space for it and this, then the correct location. Yeah, and I and I think there's a there's a couple of important things to to unpack from that, and I, and I think number one that I'd like to get your industry insight and, and data information from. So it's a very it's a very common preconceived idea that gamers are basement dwellers eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew. They don't like <laughs> exactly. To go outside. But it's if you look at any esports tournament, um, if you look at an esports bar, say like GG Easy, which is a you know a sports bar, but for but for games mm-hmm. uh, in Melbourne and the and the attendance they receive and and also facilities like yours, it does say to me that people want to go outside. They want to experience things. However, the caveat is that it has to be something really worth experiencing. They're not just going to go hang out at the skate park anymore. There has right. to be something cool. There has to be an event. There has to be something special at the skate park and a money can buy experience that they can do there. Yes. Uh, so one of the one of the questions that people always ask me um, when I started, when we started raising money for investments for access replay uh, and even now, right. The first question that anybody ever asks is why would anybody leave their house to play video games? Mm. And, you know, I could talk about all until I'm blue in the face. I could talk about, you know, the, the high speed internet, the, the number of systems we have, the, you know, the specs and, uh, and even, you know, Hey, there's just a really cool vibe when you come in here. Um, but at the end of the day, the answer is that we're all human. We're all, we're all social. It's in our DNA to be social and we are all looking for that human to human connection and, and those experiences around it. And really that's what access replay is about. That's what we exist to do. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so for you, I'd, I'd like to get a bit, a bit more information on the landscape from your opinion in regards to these mega facilities. We've seen a few that have been opened as, say, team only, like mm-hmm. Team Liquid, 100 Thieves, um, and Vitality, sure. off, in, off in France to, to diversify the options. Do you think that these team only facilities, you know, are, are something that's sustainable in the long term with your opinion in the business? Well, I, I do understand why. I mean, teams now, like, for example, the Overwatch teams, um, they are, it's part of their contract in owning the franchise that they build a facility mm. and an arena, right? Um, and what I do find is that, I mean, they have to have housing for these teams. And the, I believe that the days of, of, you know, the team house or the gaming house is, is really, um, 
somewhat going away, especially, mm. especially with the, with the advent of these larger facilities where gamers can actually come in and boot camp and practice, right? Um, mm. Access Replay, for example, has housed, uh, over 26 teams or professional teams here, uh, to, to practice in boot camp, um, including Atlanta Rain, uh, four of the Overwatch teams during homestand, uh, the Paladins team, some Smite teams, um, and even, you know, it's funny that you should say, you know, 100 Thieves and, um, and FaZe Clan and Team Liquid, uh, 100 Thieves and, and Team Liquid are actually here. Their Fortnite team is here right now. Um, practicing out of access replay. And part of that is, you know, now that, now that it, as teams move and, uh, in boot camp and travel, um, they're, they're looking for spaces like this, even if they have a mil, you know, millions of dollars into a facility in LA, they're trying to make sure that they're, you know, if they're qualifying for, for, uh, NA East, right? For a Fortnite Cup, then they need to be here in Atlanta or in Charlotte. Mm. Um, and as well as, you know, the, the paying from here versus, versus LA is, is there's a, there's that small difference. So, um, I feel like, you know, in terms of the, in terms of what we're talking about with facilities like this, as well as, um, team facilities, our facility is always going to be something that can add value to those team facilities. Um, and in fact, we're already talking to several teams, uh, for us to manage and help them monetize their spaces so that they can focus on, um, you know, their team where we can help with facilitating, uh, you know, the, the program, the, pro uh, programming of their space uh, that's, that's on the retail side. Yeah. I think, you know, to highlight a couple of things you talked about there that are quite important is, is number one, the, the trend of going away from the gaming houses. Right. You know, in the past, it's always been five players, a coach and a manager, you know, living together in a, often a three to four bedroom house. Sure. And you're stuck with your teammates 24 seven, which can yes. be good for team cohesion, but is often quite bad for mental health and also the cleanliness yes. of the facility. Right. As, as experienced. Whereas now they're going a lot more towards having an, a quote unquote office or very similar to how any traditional sports team functions they come to their home ground or they might have a training ground that's separate from their stadium and that's the place where their locker rooms are where all of their equipment is stored and they come in each day for their training sessions and go home and and relax at night time and do extra training you know if if needed or if, if they deem necessary so i can definitely see that and like you were saying too with the travel it's very important that, you know, teams get to the time zone early the same way that traditional sports do, you know, acclimatise themselves to the weather, to the time zone and, and get in the right mindset of a training camp exactly yes. the same way a UFC fighter would do a training camp for yes. weeks or months leading up to a fight. It's exactly the same thing that these sports professionals do. And I guess that the part of the question always is, is all... Um, you know the, the funding and and the back end business model. So that brings sure. us into the next topic. I'd love to I'd love to touch on a bit of your business model, and then with my experience, try to draw some some likenesses and, and maybe some questions or concerns to the esports one. Because obviously, I understand that you don't have an esports team, but um, unfortunately, right. so far, I haven't been able to get an esports team to come on the podcast who who has a facility. So let's unpack it together. Really? Well, I can help with that. Awesome. Be good. Um. So in terms of, uh. 
if you can just repeat the question again, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so let's so let's start by um, unpacking a bit of your business model. You know, it's a preconceived sure. idea often that it's purely just people coming in and paying per hour for PC. But I'd love to see a bit of a breakdown sure. for you as the support from obviously the government's quite active. In, mm-hmm. in your state, um, from sponsors, you know, from any memberships, esports tournaments, etc. I'd, l- I'd love to learn a bit about the whole ecosystem of your business development. Yeah, um, so all of that, all of the above. Um, we are actually our revenue model is based on uh, memberships and events and game time, right? Um, and what we have found, based because of what we've built uh, is that we have revenue streams that are coming in that were very unexpected, (laughs) which is great for a business like ours. Um, So our, our strategic plans for 2020, for example, includes three main buckets. Uh, One is obviously the scaling of our space, um, you know, more memberships, uh, building more locations um, and, and offering, you know, offering our services uh, in, in more physical spaces and where we can create those experiences that we're talking about. Um, Our second is the, the B, the B2B side. Um, so half of our current members actually are coworkers and corporations uh, for innovative companies, gaming to game developers who are, um, you know, talent retention, talent acquisition is such a huge part of, of every business right now that, you know, offering benefits like this, where instead of, you know, the old, the old, um, Planet Fitness membership, people are looking at things that create impactful moments and experiences for their employees. So why not offer um, kind of a, a, you know, that third place to work at Access Replay as well Mm. as, um, you know, entertainment space for them uh, and, you know, a place where they can come and have fun with their friends also. Um, And then our third bucket is our, our, building the pipeline of gamers. So we, we had a, a summer camp program this summer that, uh, we, we was a use case. Um, and what we found was, you know, we partnered with, um, we partnered with Mamba Sports out in LA, um, where they brought in, uh, you know, experts to do cognitive skills training, health and wellness, health and fitness. Um, we, created coaching uh, program, uh, you know, program coaching for different games for these gamers. Um, and the gamers played a different game every day. Uh, mm. And then, you know, of course, there was content creation and production workshops, um, which is important for for a lot of esports athletes now, right? And, uh, and then the competition side. So they competed every day. You know, a lot of in, in the U.S., a lot of these summer camp programs have development, have, um, you know, have have some sort of coding. Well, for us, I wanted to really focus on the digital athlete and what types of things do they need. Right. Um, and, you know, if you go to a if you go to a football camp or a soccer camp in the U.S., you're not going to learn how to stitch a football. 
or learn about field maintenance, you're going to learn how to play the game. Um, and that, that's exactly what we focused on. What we found was tremendous. I mean, we had such amazing results, um, that, the we are launching it and rolling it out to uh, 13,000 high school students in in Georgia next year, which is really exciting. Yeah, and it's, and Dallas. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and identifying something that you said there, which is which I feel like is so important, and it's even the same as my development, I guess, in the esports market. And like what you're saying with many others is is we often start out as a player, mm-hmm. but that's not where we that's not where we end up. Right. And helping people to understand that there is more to esports than being a player, a team owner, or a coach or a manager. In regards to like you said with the football example, stitching a ball or being involved behind or in front of the camera in various other ways, and and developing those skills. And I guess it's. Back to the start of your answer is is something that we've done here at Big Esports, you know, sitting in a board meeting saying, look, we've got an idea of where we want to take the company and Mm -hmm. where we want to make our revenue. However, why don't we just look at our revenue for the past 12 months and see what's coming in and see where the interest is and allow the market to dictate where you go. And for us, that's part of the reason why we are called Big Esports, but we're doing so much work in the influencer space, for example. Mm -hmm. And the same with you, right? Often yeah. people might see you as, oh, Access Replay is just an internet cafe. However, it seems that so much of your focus now has been on these summer camps, training and, and co-working and not, you know, purely focused on per hour PC use of kids after school or, or for pro teams. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I, I with our focus and with what we're doing, the ancillary results of that are we have more business, right? I mean, we've had, since we opened 97,000 people through our doors, which, you know, to give you a little bit of perspective here in the U.S., that's halfway to a top golf. Um, and our bar and restaurant and, and our cafe, um, it, it still has yet to open. Right. I mean, we're, we're close. We've done a soft launch and, um, we, we have it built out. We're almost there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the the adage of, hey, you build it and they will come is just not the case. <laughs> However, yeah. we have shown um, and we've proved the concept that this is actually something that is needed, right? This is something that people have been waiting for and want to be a part of. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say about that, just, just build it and they'll come. And I think that's a... I think that's an esports adage that people tried to attach themselves to in maybe 2016 to 2018. Right. And they've now realized that that's simply not the case, especially with some, you know, there's been cases of some quote unquote tier one, tier two professional teams that have done meetups and haven't actually had any fans come to them. Right. Um, There's been tournaments that have been announced and ran for popular games that are played by millions of people online that that fail to secure more than 500 or 2,000 live attendees to turn up. Even right. to a million dollar tournament, for example. Yeah. So I think people are now seeing that that advantage of building a community, and and I guess that's the next, you know, it's the next thing that I wanted to talk to you a bit about, like yeah. a little bit of a case study here in Australia. Some some friends of mine run an internet cafe chain called Guff Games, mm-hmm. and it's located in lower socioeconomic and outer rim areas. They used to have a semi CBD location, funnily enough, that they shut down, and they're mainly in rural stations and people see them as an internet cafe however if you look closely most of their stores will only have 12 to 20 pcs at most and most of their stuff is done through community building through card gaming 
as in Magic the Gathering, through mm-hmm. Warhammer models, through running workshops, tournaments, almost every single weekend, right. and building a community. And when you go to one of their stores, say in Ballarat, which is a kind of a rural hub, maybe three three hours out of Melbourne or so, after school time, all the cafes are dead, all the restaurants are dead. However, Guff Games is pumping. All the kids go there after school simply sure. just to hang out and then buy that nature, you know, some will purchase while they're there. So I'd love to learn a bit more from you as well about how – you know, you're building that community and and the importance of an esports and gaming community in your business model. So, remember what I was telling you about the research we did prior to uh, opening our location and creating a space and experiences specifically for the adult gamer. That mm-hmm. you know that the average thirty four year olds gamer, right, um, eighteen to thirty four, and what we found in doing that was that you know the events that we created, the the experiences we cre- we curated are wrapped are all wrapped around that. Um, and, and a lot of that is you're absolutely right. It's all about community. So we do anything from, I mean, in fact, we have a very large Warhammer, uh, event happening in the next couple of weeks, um, which we're really excited about. And we also have. We also have a lot of, um, you know, fighting game community events and, and then there's the Fortnite community. And, you know, so there are all these different communities. And one of the challenges that we have, um, is how do we cater to all of those? Right. And, mm. um, and, and how do we create different experiences for those? Because, at the end of the day, they're they're not all the same. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's not like a simple business model where, hey, you know, you you have your one perfect target market and then you're done, right? Um, with us, it's it's literally figuring out what each game gaming community is about what makes them tick and what makes them happy. Um, you know, we're really proud to say that you know we're we're I joke around, but one of our, you know, core values is, is doing it right. And, you know, it's five stars, bitches, like every time. Right. Um, and when you look at our reviews, we are there, we're there um, because mm. we focus a hundred percent from whether or not you're a console player or a tabletop player, or, you know, you come in once a month and do D and D and, um, or you come in and spend the night on, you know, uh, on a Monday night during world of Warcraft classic launch. Right. I mean, it, or you're, you're a kid playing, you come in and, and you're playing Fortnite. I mean, it, and their parents, right? So it, it's a whole family experience. It's, um, it's a, it's a gaming community experience. And even though we are, you know, our plans are to take this globally and have access replays and, you know, and, and create a global brand with access replay, we, Focus a hundred percent on our community first. And mm. that is where our successes has, has been tremendous because really in reality, and this is kind of funny because like I said, my backgrounds in sales and marketing, but we really haven't done a lot of marketing 
traditionally that you would consider marketing, right? Um, even mm-hmm. in the past 11 months we've been open, uh, all of our growth has been, you know, 97,000 people. Uh, so before we even stood up computer systems here, we put proximity tracking beacons that track unique mobile signatures. So I know for a fact that those numbers have, you know, those are people who've spent at least five minutes in our space. On average, they spent two hours and they come back. You know, I mean, 75% of them are returned customers. So that data just shows what the power of an experience can do, because I know exactly what you're talking about with other locations with other land centers who just build, you know, hey, we're just, we're going to put this in this really cool space. And, but nobody ever actually goes there. Right. Or, mm. or, or, you know, you have those spaces who are in the middle of nowhere, but people will drive to it because it's an experience. Mm. And, and I think that so much of the focus has been around online growth, you know, mm-hmm. Twitch TV viewership. Um, around Twitter, followers, social media, how many concurrent users are, are playing certain games and the growth of which. But when you're talking about this local and community, it's such a different thing. And I'm going through exactly the same thing at the moment with a few clients. You know, we, we work with a few that are Australia only. Mm-hmm. And we work with a few that are almost everywhere, bar Australia, say betting that doesn't have a license to operate here. Okay. And it, it becomes such a different challenge that, is really hard to solve for the normal esports thinking, I guess. And I'm right. stumbling through this because I'm trying to think about it, trying to think about my experience <laughs> while I'm talking about it, which is hard. But, you know, g- giving that fact of, okay, a sports team comes to me, and this happened recently, hey, we've got a game coming up. We'd like some more people to come. Can we work with some influencers? And you go, uh, kind of, but <laughs> most of them have most of their viewership from the U.S., Right. So are they going? Are they going to want to gut their prices just because you're selling against their Australia right. numbers? You know, are they okay with that when they can make money off a, you know, the new the new latest Chinese tap casual app game that you know promote with every YouTube channel that will pay them fifty thousand dollars for a single video? Sure. Are they really going to want to do a five hundred dollar video? Probably not. So there's right. so many different different ways to tackle this problem and and it's a very it's a very interesting one and you know i think i've stumbled through enough <laughs> <laughs> no uh so it's it's actually interesting that you say that because um i what i love about sales and marketing what really drives um it, it is exactly what drives people right and what happens with marketing firms and agencies and and it's that mode of thinking of okay well how do we get a return of you know an roi on mm. on this event or or what we're doing um for our client and a lot of times especially in esports what i'm finding is that a lot of agencies out there they tend to create and recreate what they've done for other clients, right? Without Mm. the thoughts or or without consideration behind really who their target is. So for example, um, this is funny. So 
I have 20 years of, of marketing background behind me. I have had, you know, I have had huge successes where I have helped, um, you know, communities here in the U.S. win, um, campaign, political campaigns that have, you know, fundraisers essentially that, that gave them millions for, you know, $80 million splash campaign, um, for a $1,500 Facebook, uh, ad campaign, right? I mean, mm. I make miracles like that happen. And my clients in the past have actually told me you're, you're a marketing genius. And when I started Access Replay, I had to completely throw out the hand, the playbook. It is mm. absolutely different to, it is an absolutely different, um, um, engagement it's different in in what you know in the capturing of uh customers and it's it's a different kind of marketing altogether and i think that you know that it's that whole idea or thought of oh well i want to get into esports let me just throw up you know, 20 computers here or 40 computers there. Um, and then all of a sudden that's, that's a thing. Um, and it's not <laughs> right. Because, because at the end of the day, gamers want to be, we're special. We want to go somewhere where it's being social on our terms. It's, um, it's us being engaged on our terms, right? Um, mm. if, if I go out to dinner and drink somewhere and I want to play video games, like even here, we had a DJ on New Year's Eve or, or uh, no, Super Bowl weekend. Um, we had this huge event, Face Clan um, founders, Banks and Temper and the Prez were here. Um, we had uh, Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. We had this huge melding of um, traditional sports and esports and gaming. It was an amazing event, um, and we had a DJ playing music. Well, one of the things we learned was that it was really loud, and the gamers and, and gamers were like, "It's too loud. I can't hear my game." Right. Mm. And so the next event that we had where we had a DJ, we did a silent disco. And it was amazing how how engaged the gamers were in this silent disco. Like they had they had their headsets on to game and then they literally had the silent disco headset next to them. And when they were taking a break, they'd put on the or or when they had a D, you know, when they when there was a DJ that they liked, they'd put on the silent disco headset and go dance on the dance floor and then come back in game. Um, but who would have, you, you know, and actually, when I explained to my team, that's what I wanted to do. They all looked at me and like I was crazy and were like. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, I think that might be a little too much. And I was like, no. It's going to be great <laughs> because this is this is the pain point that they had right back in back in February during Super Bowl weekend. I think this solves that problem. And mm. I will tell you that event was so much fun. Everybody has been asking when we're going to do another one. Right. Um, mm. And so. Thinking, thinking through, uh, you know, a lot of times people. People in business, 
they take what came before and say, well, it's not going to work. And if anything has been proven, esports has proven that what has come before and hasn't worked here or may not work there, you never know until you actually ask, right? Um, and let your, let your target, let your market dictate what they want and you will be successful. I mean, just like what you said was, was so impactful and important because that's exactly what we've done. I mean, we try new things. We listen to what people have to say. And because of that, you know, we're, we've been successful at bringing people here and they love it. Yeah. Just trying to think of where to where to take the conversation because there's so many so many interesting tidbits of information that you, that you talked about there, and I think I think part of it is like you were saying, uh, and and part of what you touched on is that people from this new industry often like to um, discount or discredit older ideas that have happened in the past. It's I think it's quite common for people from esports to say, uh, look at traditional sports. You know, their audience is aging; they have no idea what they're doing. Right. Or you know, look at the local pubs or bars. You know, I don't go to them anymore, so so no one must go to them. Or right. look at traditional television. You know, their numbers are declining, but without remembering the fact that yes, traditional television numbers might be declining. However, their numbers are still far larger than most esports tournaments that are yes. happening. And you know, yes, the the sporting audience might be older, but you know, if they're in the NBA, they're spending dozens of dollars per fan yes. rather than single dollars per fan. So there are so many things we can learn and and so many different marketing activities. And I think also you're very right in the fact that I feel like sometimes in the esports market, we get stuck in, in looking internally in that a lot of companies are a startup that function not like a startup. Mm-hmm. So let's say, you know, yet another esports team will approach me and say, you know, hey, how can I get sponsors? You know, we're in CSGO, we're in Fortnite, we're in League of Legends, we're trying to become the best team in the world pro. And kind of gently remind them that there's actually 500 other teams like that throughout the world. How about using a different model? You know, look at some traditional sports teams and and ways that they differentiate themselves. How, How do the F1 teams still manage to get sponsorship when there's a team that's placed, you know, sixth or seventh out Mm -hmm. of eighth for the past multiple seasons? For example, what are they doing that's different? Um, and similar to these live facilities and what you're talking about, or, or even what we're talking to some clients about at the moment. You know, we had one client come to us and basically say, look, we've got some money, we'll pay healthy commissions, we just want to do something different. Mm-hmm. We don't want to sponsor a tournament, we don't want to sponsor a team, we don't want to do an influencer campaign, make something for us. And the thinking, going back to using some of the words you were saying there before is, Taking ownership of something, I think, is is something that's going to be much more important coming into the future, which is instead of these companies sponsoring someone else, instead of Access Replay working with the high school esports league, why not do what you've done and run your own boot camp? And similar with the sponsor, instead of sponsoring a tournament or a league, why not make your own tournament or league? Because then you have full control. You don't have to rely on influencers or outside parties. You can You can do it all yourself internally. Yeah, I, for us, it's a lot of marrying the, you know, the markets. Um, we we want to be part of the movement that that allows people to see how big gaming really is, right? Not just esports, but gaming as a whole. Um, and you have a lot of 
And, and the crazy part about esports and gaming, a lot of the esports fans actually play video games too, right? Yeah. And when you look at you when you look at the number, the sheer numbers of people who are gamers, um, and I'd love to send you a video of a, an activation that we did with Major League Baseball um, and the Braves, where uh, the Atlanta Braves are the local baseball team here, um, where we engage their fans. The results were amazing. I mean, we had we had um, we had all of three hours to promote this event. And three and a half hours of content. Um, and we uh, on Twitch on a brand new Twitch channel that had zero followers. And we had over 227,000 views over a three hour, three and a half hour period. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of their fans who are hungry for that engagement with the pro players, um, to raise money for a good cause. Right. And, and doing something, playing Fortnite, doing something that they, that they, that they felt a connection to, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so things like that, um, for us is what really kind of drives the experiences and marrying those, um, you know, bringing people together uh, in, in that way where it's very inclusive, which, you know, I love esports and gaming because of that. And I find that I find that a lot of times, you know, people who are in esports are, Oh, well, this is esports. And then you have people who are in, you know, either non-endemic brands or, um, or traditional sports. They, they don't understand the, the, the marriages between or, or the, the synergies between mm. um, and how to activate on that. Right. It's not, it's not, yeah, let's put some computers up at a stadium and think that that's going to draw people in. It's, it's how do we actually engage those fans? What makes them tick and what brings them together? Mm. And, and, you know, there's definitely an important thing that, that you touched on a few times here is that, you know, the very the very common thing that I say is is that brands and investors come to me saying, "Hey, I want esports," but really, what they want is gaming. Right. And really, what they want is Gen Z and millennials, and yes. gaming is just the interface to reach those yes. people. Yes. No, that's so true. And you know, one of the things that we did um, the first six months that we were open, I didn't really go after a lot of um, sponsorship money, right? Because mm. I understand from my previous life was that, you know, my, I understood that a business like, um, you know, a global brand wasn't going to really sponsor um, or, or have a lot of budget to sponsor one location. Mm. And, but the reality is, is that if we created a location that did activations with hundreds and thousands of viewers and had connections in multiple markets and, you know, had partnerships with other, you know, with, with teams, with tier one teams and tier two teams and, you know, and had access to the millennial like millennials who are unplugged and and have the ability to reach them in a way that's engaging then of course they would pay for that 
Mm. I mean, the non-endemic brands have been looking for a way to activate and, and become sticky with that age group. And how do you do that? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, through gaming and, and esports. And if you put those two together, it's, it's a winning combination. Yeah, and I think I, I talked about exactly this in, in the last podcast yeah. with Mark L. Lee about the fighting games community and, yes. and why getting a lot of these mainstream non-endemic companies into the industry, one of my favorite things to do is show them bums on seats because you can right. show them so many videos of big Intel Extreme Masters tournaments. You can show them FaZe Clan meetups in New York City with, you know, was it 14 city blocks of fans yeah. coming to meet them? But if you can show them in person, bring them down, show them bums on seats. And especially like you were saying, localize your content and your offering, which you obviously do because you're a physical facility. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much power in that. So many people always contact me. Once again, I'll use the the general team route of, you know, Chris, we're scaling up. Can you help me get sponsored by Razor? Right. Or Thermaltake or Corsair or Intel. And I say to them, look, you're going to be competing for attention against FaZe, Game Liquid, 100 Thieves, PewDiePie, like, are you ready for that? Or can you localize your content? What about your local butcher or mechanic or shopping center? Or what about your local Coca-Cola constituency? You know, not Coca-Cola global, but how about Coca-Cola in your state, your local restaurants, your hotels? They they need people as well. They're doing marketing. They're using Google. They're using Facebook ads. So can you do something as localized as possible. And we did it we did a test like that, for example. We used an influencer and we went to Mercedes of Brighton. And for those people who don't know, Melbourne, Australia, Brighton has a place called the Golden Mile, which is about a mile of beachfront properties where most of the sports celebrities in Australia live, ex cricketers like Ricky Ponting and T V okay. hosts and startup owners, et cetera, et cetera. And we said to them, Look, we have an influencer here who is in your target market has 170-ish thousand followers, 88% are Australian, and of that, 80% are from Melbourne. Yeah. And I said, well, that's great. Yeah. That's customers for us. But if we went to them and said, Mercedes of Brighton, would you like to sponsor 100 Thieves? They've got a 4% Australian audience. (laughs) They go, well, what's what's the point? We're not going to – we're a local dealership. You know, we're not going to sell a Mercedes to someone out in Alberta. Absolutely. No, I love how strategic – Yeah, I love how strategic you were with that because that's exactly – that is what we need and not somebody who's trying to sell like a hundred thieves to a 4%, you know, 4% market in Melbourne. Right. I mean, because, yeah. because then those companies are those in, non-endemic brands are just going to get frustrated and then they're going to say, Oh, well, esports didn't work for us. Well, that's not true. You just didn't do it right. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think that to, to turn it into a soundbite, I think it's like your, I think it's it's your biggest weakness as well as the same time it's your biggest strength, mm-hmm. and you need to you need to focus on ways to differentiate yourself, right? And it goes exactly the same for you. You know, if someone yeah. wants to come to a an esports tournament that you're hosting, you know, why is a local hotel not part of that, or Airbnb sponsoring it, or sure. you know, a hostel or local restaurants, you know, because your bar isn't open yet, etc. You know, should all be part of it because they all need customers, and it's all local marketing. Yeah. No, I I get it. Fantastic. So, what does um? So, change change talk a little bit. What does scale in and size look like for you? Because obviously, I guess once again, it's the same thing. You know, your biggest advantage having a physical facility could also be seen in business as a big disadvantage in regards to scaling without sure. a digital offering. Uh, well, we have we've slotted um, six 
additional locations over the next two to three years um, and in the southeast region here in the in the U.S. Uh, so we're looking at Dallas as, our, as one of our next target markets, um, Washington, D.C., Charlotte, Birmingham, uh, and Orlando, um, and then also building out a larger facility here in Atlanta. Um, we're working with some facilities or, or some venues right now uh, and locations that we're going to have smaller locations at. Um, and uh, that's really exciting that I, I can't share yet, but uh, maybe next time we talk and catch up. Um, but basically, our goal is to scale our, our physical locations, um, you know, throughout the U.S., um, but starting with that Southeast region because it, it's so underserved here. Mm. And and what makes you, you know, totally different to other competitors in the U.S. market as you're looking to expand? So for us, we're all about daily use. Um, we, you know, a lot of facilities out there are, um, are you know, are, are either they're large land centers and it's a bar with with gaming systems um, or it's a land center and no entertainment you know side um, for us we are we're open seven days a week um, we're open 11 a.m to 11 p.m and 11 a.m to 2 a.m on the weekends uh, and so you know we're about to expand that um, to earlier mornings because like I said our you know our co-workers make good make up a good part of our memberships and um and we do we're a live work and game community so uh, we we have we have corporate members who come here work out of here um game at night you know do team building um corporate parties, et cetera. Um, and then we also have uh, the casual gamers to the pro players who come here and practice out of our space as well and use us as a facility, our training facility. And other facilities are, um, you know, they're, they're either, they're large facilities. They're very focused on the production side and uh, the tournaments. Um, mm-hmm. For us, our tournaments are very community based. So, like FGC community, you know, we we can hold um, just a little over four hundred people in our space, uh, but we we fill up a lot of the week. Right? It's not it's not just empty um, empty space most of mm-hmm. the time and then we have like one big event once a week or once a month or whatever um our goal is to be our goal is to be used as a as a facility in a space in a gaming space um every day and uh what you know as as you're looking to continue developing what keeps you up at night is there anything that that people who are listening to this podcast might be able to help you out with <laughs> Um, you know, really what keeps me up at night is just the exponential growth that we've been experiencing and making sure that that's sustainable and that we're growing at a sustainable rate. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I would have to say that, you know, that's, 
the operations behind what we're doing, um, streamlining that as well as, you know, the team. Uh, now I've, I've been blessed to have an amazing team here who, um, Really, they're they're all gamers who are also professionals, um, and, uh, and and business professionals, and and I love what they've done. I mean, we there's no way that we could have all of the success that we've encountered is due to their hard work for sure. Um, and uh, you know, but what really keeps me up at night is you know, holy crap, all this stuff that's coming with you know coming at us, um, and the traction that we have is amazing and fantastic. Um, but you know, of course, we have to deliver on everything uh, that we promise, and making sure that you know we're we're. Our reviews are still five stars, you know, the, the bathrooms are cleaned, <laughs> you know, the, mm. the, um, uh, all the little things that comes with a, a facility based business. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the clean, the clean facility is, <laughs> it's definitely an important one. It is. used to be overlooked from internet cafes of old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I think you're a hundred percent right about that, you know, sustainable growth. And I think, Expanding on that for my company and for a lot in this industry too, the hardest thing is qualifying leads mm-hmm. and seeing where they're going to go because quite yeah. often you, you have these, you know, internal discussions with other senior people in the industry that are running businesses and there's always these seeming opportunities that come through. You know, this big sports team or this big brand says, hey, we want to go gung-ho into esports and gaming as of tomorrow. You chuck all of your time and attention into pitching it. It doesn't eventuate into anything. Right. And that's happened to us many times in the past and many of my friends as well, whether they're esports teams or consultancy agencies, influencers, what have you. And I think that now where I'm seeing the market go is that A, you know, building a community, fantastic, like what you're doing. And B, how can you make some direct revenue while you start to work on these future prospects is also yeah. something that's, you know, coming especially to these gaming teams and things like that as well right now. Yes. Well, you know, we've been, we've also been really lucky about, um, you know, our revenue model is, is very solid. Um, and, you know, for a business that's been open barely a year, uh, it we're, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, and which is, you know, also, um, you know, not to say that there aren't challenge. You know, the typical challenges that every startup encounters, but um, we're we're doing extremely well in terms of revenue with people wanting to use our services and use our space and um, you know become members and that type of stuff. Uh, and and that's been great. I mean, it just showcases the need for more places like Access Replay. Um, and you know, I mean. It, the more the more land centers and the mega land centers pop up, um, the more that it legitimizes what we're doing, and in uh, mm. absolutely, you know, hope to be able to support um, folks who are who are making a go at it as well. Um, this has been, you know, I facilities and venues is really something that has been lacking. And the infrastructure, you know, in, in the infrastructure of esports and gaming. And, mm. um, you know, now as as a lot of companies are seeing that and, um, you know, more traditional investors are seeing that piece, um, I think we're we're going to see more more money being invested into that as well. Um, whereas prior to a lot of investment dollars were going to teams. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and that top line, um, in, in, 
and game developers and and stuff like that. So now I think that people are really starting to look at, okay, the infrastructure behind this is starting to grow. That's something that we definitely, you know, want to be a part of. So that's exciting. So much growth happening in the industry. And and you're definitely right. You know, I I feel like, I mean, I said it pretty much at the start of the podcast that, you know, 2019, 2020 seems to be the year of the of the mega facility, mm-hmm. and um, you know, 2017, 2018, or well, 2018, 2019 seem to be the year of the esports team. So I'm really interested to see what happens. You know, 12 to 24 months into you know these capital raises and these large facilities that are being announced, because I think it's too you know it's too early to test success. For most yeah. in the market, they're still going through the honeymoon period or, you know, many of them aren't even open until sure. March 2020. Right. So I think, you know, the next 12, 24 months is going to be really interesting to see the business models. And and like you were saying before too, and, and I was kind of touching on it, it's hard because we're in such a new industry where I think people sometimes get stuck in that mindset that there are industry standards set, but there really aren't because we're so infant. And yes. then especially when you're breaching new grounds like you're doing with this building community and such, there's, you know, it's right for disruption. And is, is the esports model and sponsorship the right thing to do? Is running Dota 2 minors and majors at your facility the right thing to do? Right. Or is it school camps? You know, we've, obviously you've seen some some um, good tidbits of information there and some success so far. I'm really interested to track it in the future. And, you know, I guess is what I do with all of these esports teams is you track the Cloud9 model versus the Team Liquid model versus 100 Thieves versus FaZe, you know, yeah. four very different models. And the same with the facilities of Arena Esports versus Fortress versus Allied. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what the future holds for us for sure. Fantastic, Ali. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. We're both very busy people. So where can people follow you online for updates? Uh, so access replay across the board um, on all socials for for me, myself, Ali, A-L-L-I-E-B, as in boy and young, Y-O-U-N-G, uh, on Twitter or uh, or Instagram and um and you know, accessreplay.com for, uh, for updates on us and, and what we have going on. And if someone's local in your region, what's, what's coming up next for access replay besides the expansion? Oh my goodness. Um, what isn't, (laughs) uh, where we have, we have some really fun events coming up over uh, over the holidays and our one year anniversary is new year's Eve. Um, and so I invite everybody to come out and and uh, and you know celebrate with us. Mm. Fantastic! All right, Ali, thanks so much for coming on. And it's it's great to finally get you know some some insight, I guess, from behind the scenes as to your business model and and how it seems to differ from the others. I think it, there's definitely some interesting bits that we've discussed today around community yeah. and development of the local industry. So I'm really keen to see where you guys take it. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. And thank you for listening to the Big Esports Podcast. For any of the show notes to what we've talked about today or links or show notes for any of our other podcasts, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 